Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I contend that situations that have thinking participants uh, uh, have a different structure from natural phenomena. The difference lies in the role of thinking. In natural phenomena, thinking plays no causal role and serves only a cognitive function. In human affairs, Thinking is part of the subject matter and serves both a cognitive and a manipulative function. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. And here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? You didn't know this kid, okay? We did. They're looking for help. We call me at. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved. And their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Public Access Access America. America. The two functions can interfere with each other. The interference doesn't occur all the time. In everyday activities, like driving a car or painting a a house, the two functions actually complement each other. But when it occurs, it introduces an element of uncertainty which is absent from natural phenomena. Uh, The uncertainty manifests itself in both functions. The participants act uh, on the basis of imperfect understanding and the results of their actions will not correspond to their expectations. I call that the human uncertainty principle, and I consider it a key feature 
of human affairs. By contrast, in the case of natural phenomena, events unfold irrespective of the views held by the observers. The outside observer is engaged only in the cognitive function, and the phenomena provide a reliable criterion by which the truth of the observer's theories can be judged. So the outside observer can obtain knowledge. Based on that knowledge, nature can be successfully manipulated. There is a natural separation between the cognitive and manipulative function, and due to that separation, both functions can serve their purpose better than in the human sphere. At this point, I need to uh, um, emphasize that reflexivity is not the only source of uncertainty in human affairs. Yes, reflexivity does introduce an element of uncertainty, both into the participants' views and the actual course of events, but other factors may also have the same effect. For instance, the fact that participants can't know what the other participants know is something quite different from reflexivity, yet it's a source of uncertainty. The fact that different participants have different interests, some of which may be in conflict with each other, is another source of uncertainty. Moreover, each individual participant may be guided by a multiplicity of values which may not be self-consistent, as Isaiah Berlin has pointed out. The uncertainties created by these factors are likely to be even more extensive than those generated uh, by reflexivity. I've lumped them all together, and, and when I speak of the human uncertainty principle, which is an even broader concept than reflexivity. The human uncertainty principle I'm talking about is much more specific and stringent than the sub subjective skepticism that pervades Cartesian philosophy. It gives an, uh, an, an objective reason to believe that our perceptions and, expect and expectations are, or at least may be, wrong. Although the primary impact of uh, human uncertainty falls on the participants, it has far-reaching implications for the social sciences. I can explicate them best by invoking Karl Popper's theory of scientific method. It's a beautifully simple and elegant scheme. It consists of three elements and three operations. The three elements are scientific laws, and the initial and final conditions to which those laws apply. The three operations are prediction, explanation, and testing. When the scientific laws are combined with the initial conditions, they provide predictions. When they are combined with the final conditions, they provide explanations. In this sense, predictions and explanations are symmetrical, and reversible. That leaves testing, where predictions derived from scientific laws are compared with the actual results. 
According to Popper, scientific laws are hypothetical in character. They can't be verified, they can only be falsified by testing. The key to the success of scientific method is that it can test generalizations of universal validity with the help of singular observations. One failed test is sufficient to falsify a theory, uh, but no amount of confirming instances is sufficient to uh, verify. This is a brilliant solution to the otherwise intractable problem, how can science be both empirical and rational? According to Popper, it's empirical because we test our theories by observing whether the, pred uh, the predictions we derive from them are true. And it's rational because we use deductive logic in doing so. Popper dispenses with inductive logic and relies instead on testing. Generalizations that can't be uh, tested do not qualify as scientific. Uh, Popper's emphasis on the central role of testing uh, 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 and, uh, 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 plays a very important role in scientific method and establishes a strong case for critical thinking but by asserting that scientific laws are only provisionally valid and remain open to re-examination. Thus, the three salient features of Popper's scheme are the symmetry between prediction and explanation, the asymmetry between verification and falsification, and the central role of testing. Testing allows science to grow, improve, and innovate. Popper's scheme works well for the study of natural phenomena, but the human uncertainty principle throws a monkey wrench into the supreme simplicity and elegance of Popper's scheme. The symmetry, the symmetry between predictions and explanations is destroyed because of the element of uncertainty in predictions. And the central role of testing is endangered. Should the initial and final conditions include or exclude the participants thinking? The question is important because testing requires replicating those conditions. If the participant's thinking is included, it's difficult to observe what the initial and final conditions are, because the participant's views can only be inferred from their statements or actions. If it's excluded, the initial and final con conclusions don't uh, constitute singular observations, because the same objective conditions may be associated with very different views held by the participants. In either case, generalizations can't be properly tested. These difficulties don't preclude social scientists from producing worthwhile generalizations, but they are unlikely to meet the requirements of Popper's scheme, nor can they match the predictive power 
of the laws of physics. Miss an episode of Public Access America? Download the SoundCloud app now on your Android or iPhone device to catch up. The social scientists have found this, this conclusion hard to accept. Economists in particular suffer from what Sigmund Freud might call physics envy. And there have been many attempts to eliminate the difficulties uh, connected with the human uncertainty principle by in, in inventing or postulating some kind of fixed relationship between the participant's thinking and the actual state of affairs. Karl Marx asserted that the ideological superstructure was determined by the material conditions of production. And Freud maintained that people's behavior was determined by drives and complexes of which they were not even aware. Uh, uh, both claimed scientific status for their theories, although, as Popper pointed out, they can't be falsified by testing. But by far the most impressive attempt has been mounted by economic theory. It started out um, by assuming perfect knowledge. And when that assumption turned out to be unsustainable, it went through an increasing contortions to maintain the fiction of rational behavior. Economics ended up with the theory of rational expectations, which maintains that there is a single optimum view of the future, that which corresponds to it, and eventually all the market participants will converge around that view. This postulate is absurd, but it is needed in order to allow economic theory to model itself on Newtonian uh, physics. Interestingly, both Karl Popper and Friedrich Hayek recognized in their famous exchange in the pages of Economica that the social sciences can't produce uh, results compar comparable to physics. Hayek invaded against the mechanical and uncritical application of the quantitative methods of natural science. He called it scientism. And Karl Popper wrote about the poverty of historicism, where he argued that history is not determined by universally valid scientific laws. <clears throat> Nevertheless, Popper proclaimed what he called the doctrine of the unity of method, by which he meant that both natural and social sciences should be judged by the same criteria. And Hayek, of course, became the apostle of the Chicago School of Economics, where market fundamentalism was born. But as I see it, the implication of the human uncertainty principle is that the subject matter of the natural and social sciences is fundamentally different. Therefore, they need to develop different methods and they have to be held to different standards. Economic theory should not be expected to produce universally valid laws that can be used reversally to explain and predict historic events. 
I contend that the slavish imitation of natural science inevitably leads to the distortion of human and social phenomena. What is attainable in social science falls short of what is attainable in, in, in physics. <clears throat> I am somewhat troubled, however, uh, about drawing a sharp distinction between the natural and social sciences. Such dichotomies are usually not found in reality. They are introduced by us in our efforts to make some sense out of an otherwise confusing reality. Indeed, while a sharp distinction between physics and social sciences seems justified, there are other sciences, such as biology and the study of animal societies, that occupy intermediate uh, position. But I had to ab abandon my reservations and recognize a dichotomy because the social sciences encounter a second difficulty from which the natural sciences are exempt. And that is that social theories are reflexive. Heisenberg's discovery of the uncertainty principle didn't alter the behavior of, of quantum particles one iota. But social theories, whether Marxism, market fundamentalism, or the theory of reflexivity, can affect the subject matter to which it refers. Scientific method is supposed to be devoted to the pursuit of truth. Heisenberg's uncertainty principle does not interfere with that postulate, but refle the reflexivity of social theories does. Why should social science confine itself to passively studying social phenomena when it can be used to actively change the state of affairs? Public Access America is on Instagram, sharing sneak peeks, episode art, snippets of the stories, and more. Search Big Brain Pod and follow, like, and comment on Instagram. As I uh, remarked in the Alchemy of Finance, uh, the, the Alchemy of Finance, the alchemists made a mistake in trying to change the nature of base metals by incantation. Instead, they should have focused their attention on the financial markets where they could have succeeded. How, how, could, how could social science be protected against this interference? I propose a simple remedy. Recognize a dichotomy between the natural and social sciences. This will ensure that social theories will be judged on their merits and not by a false analogy with natural science. I propose this as a convention for the protection of scientific method, not as a demotion or devaluation of social science. The convention sets no limits on what social science may be able to accomplish. On the contrary, by liberating social science for the, from the slavish imitation of natural science and protecting it from being judged by the wrong standards, it should open up new vistas. 
I apologize for dwelling so long in the rarefied realm of abstractions. I promise to come down to earth in my next lecture. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. History in the making, 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 history in the making. making. Public Access America is waiting for you on the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Download the app for free and subscribe to Public Access America to get more episodes like this in your feed every day. It's in this spirit that I shall uh, put forward my interpretation of financial markets uh, tomorrow.